Well, as I trust most of you know, uh, those who want to become firefighters, those who want a career as a firefighter, uh, they must go through a long and difficult training period. They must complete a three or four month long training program, sometimes called Fire Academy, a uh, firefighting school which trains them in the, the basics of firefighting. Now, some of you all may be firefighters, I do not know. Now I think the, the requirements can vary from Fire Academy to Fire Academy, but I was uh, reading a news article about the San Diego Fire Academy, uh, and that academy requires recruits to come for about 12 hours a day to engage in, in classroom instruction and, of course, uh, intense physical exercise. Uh, they train so they can successfully complete the, uh, the arduous tasks required of firefighters, carrying the heavy hoses, climbing ladders, crawling through dark and smoke-filled rooms, dragging people out if that is required, uh, they also, during this time, if they did not already know it, become intimately familiar with the, the dangers and the, the risks of the job of firefighting. And then, by the conclusion of the fire academy, well, they have to pass academic tests, they have to pass physical fitness tests in order to, to graduate as a firefighter. Now, I think it is true that almost everyone who goes to fire academy, that they go eagerly. They're excited. I mean, many people have wanted to be a firefighter their entire life. I mean, if you ask your kids, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? A common response is a firefighter. Nevertheless, despite so many going eagerly to fire academy, many of the students who begin fail to graduate. Now, at least in San Diego, the attrition rate is about 15%. Now, some fail to pass the academic tests. Some fail to pass the physical fitness tests. But others quit. The demands of the fire academy are, are too tough. Maybe they become familiar with the dangers of the job or the demands of the job, and when they get more familiar with them, they decide, well, this just isn't for me. Though they may have wanted to become a firefighter since they were a kid, when they actually experience the demands of the job, they decide it is just not for them. And so they quit. Well, the church, the, the truth is that not everyone endures in the Christian life either. There are, there are many people who are at one time seemingly eager to follow after Jesus. They seem to maybe even be on fire for the Lord, but who nevertheless at one point fall away. There are some who quit the Christian life when they find out that following Jesus is not easy. When they experience the, the high cost of discipleship and when difficulties come. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Oh, church, the, the main idea of these verses, and therefore this sermon this morning, is this. True disciples, true disciples bear any cost to follow Jesus, which brings glory to God. True disciples bear any cost to follow Jesus, which brings glory to God. I have two points to help us consider that idea this morning. The first, understanding the cost. And then the second, advertising the cost. Understanding the cost and advertising the cost. So first, understanding the cost. Well, so as we, as we jump into Luke 14 here, we find Jesus nearing the end of his time on earth. His ministry in Galilee has been concluded. 
And he and his disciples are on the long journey to Jerusalem for the Passover, where Jesus will suffer and die on the cross. Now, by this time in, in Jesus' ministry, his fame was substantial. There were large crowds following him or, or traveling with him, as we see in our own texts. Now, the, the Bible presents something of a, of a mixed picture of the crowds that followed Jesus. They were often amazed at his wisdom. They rejoiced in his miracles. But many also turned back from following him when Jesus' teaching got difficult. They were happy to follow him when it was easy, when they were being entertained or amazed, when Jesus was doing things for them. But some fell away when things got more difficult. Of course, Jesus knew all of this. And so he turned to this particular crowd that was following him, and he began to give them a picture of what it is truly like to follow him. He taught that there is a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to following Jesus. And this is not the first time that Jesus has taught about the cost of discipleship in Luke. In fact, back in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In the previous chapter in Luke 13, 24, Jesus told his disciples to make every effort to enter through the narrow door. In our verses for this morning, in Luke chapter 14, well, notice Jesus' strong and all-encompassing language in these verses. Three times. Verses 26, verse 27, verse 33, Jesus made it clear that his teaching applies to anyone or whoever wants to be a true disciple. And three times in those same three verses, he said that you cannot be his disciple unless you were willing to suffer the cost. There are no exceptions to Jesus' teaching. He did not say that enduring these costs or taking up your cross is simply one way out of many to follow him, maybe the, the best way. No, he said you cannot be his disciple unless you are willing to count the cost. This is not just for exceptional Christians or those who are super spiritual and devoted to Jesus. No, all true disciples must bear their cross. They must take up their cross and follow Jesus. And so church, in, in light of that reality, I have a couple of questions for you to just kind of reflect on as we study these verses this morning, just to kind of have in the, the background of your mind as we walk through Luke 14, 25 through 35. These questions are this. Can you identify anything that you have given up to follow Jesus? Can you identify any sacrifice you have made? I'm going to take a look at what that might look like, but just have those questions in the back of your mind. Now, I trust that many of you have seen an auction before where people bid for various items. We are in cattle country or longhorn country, so maybe a cattle auction. Now, the auctioneer might ask at an auction, like, do I hear $100 for, for this item or that item? It's cattle, 
hopefully substantially more, or you do not want that cow. Uh, if someone bids that amount of money, the auctioneer then asks if anyone is willing to give more. You know, do I hear $200 for this? Now, eventually, that auctioneer is going to reach a point where only one person is willing to, bear, to pay the cost. Right? They're going to win the item. Eventually, the cost comes too high for everyone else. Friends, is there a cost that is too high for you to pay for Jesus? Have you ever thought, like, I'll follow Jesus as long as he does not make me do that? I'll follow Jesus as long as I don't have to, to give up that, as long as it doesn't change my life in that way. Well, if so, that might indicate that there is something that you are tempted to love more than Jesus. Now, in these verses, Jesus identifies three broad categories of things that you must be willing to sacrifice in order to be one of his true disciples. One, family we might just say close relationships. So family, yourself, and possessions. Now, these are not necessarily a, a complete list of things we might be required to give up in order to follow Jesus, but they, they do indicate something of the all-encompassing nature of discipleship. You must be all in. There's no such thing as half-hearted discipleship. Now, that being said, I do want to, to briefly go through each of these categories that Jesus mentions in our verses and simply make a few observations and ask a few questions that might help you evaluate your own heart and your own life in, in light of Jesus' message here in Luke chapter 14. So first, let's look, at, let's look at family or at least close relationships. Jesus said that you must be willing to sacrifice even your own family, in order to follow him. Look again at verse 26. Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I'm guessing you probably know this, but Jesus is not saying that you actually have to hate your family or friends in order to, to follow him. In fact, Jesus teaches elsewhere, as I trust that you know, that you're to love even your enemies. A heart that has been transformed by God's love is to grow in love for others, not shrink in love. But what Jesus is teaching here is that he alone, he alone must have your highest loyalty. He must have your highest allegiance. It cannot be to your family, it cannot be to your friends, and it cannot be to anything else. Well, this becomes abundantly clear if you consider Jesus' similar words from Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. This is what Jesus says there. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Well, church, what might it look like to be more devoted to Jesus than your family? Well, for many in the, the Muslim world where, where we minister, placing faith in Jesus Christ might and probably will mean banishment from the family. 
perhaps even persecution by family and friends, the consequences can be severe. You must truly love Jesus more than family if you're going to place your faith in Jesus Christ and follow him from that background. We could think of any number of missionaries who suffered the loss of family members while taking the gospel to the nations. The famous missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, he suffered the death of his first wife and four of his eight children while on the mission field. At least some of those deaths were the result of the difficult living conditions they endured. I trust he and his wife did not know that was going to happen when they left, but they had to know it was a possibility. Friends, what, what about for you? What might it look like for, for you? For some of you, it, it might look like a willingness to leave your family and friends behind and take the gospel to the nations yourself. It could mean for others that you eagerly support and encourage a child who is interested in being a missionary, though you might be nervous about the risks that they might incur. But those are real things to consider. I don't want you to be quick to dismiss those things, but I also don't want you to walk away from this sermon thinking that going overseas is the only way to be faithful to Jesus' teaching from these verses. That is certainly not the case. Friends, your, your devotion to Jesus might be shown in a willingness to share the gospel with your family members, even if you're not sure how they'll react. Maybe a father or a mother who is hostile to the gospel. Faithfulness to Jesus it could mean that you're willing to even give up the possibility of having a family. You refuse to, to date and, and marry someone who is not a Christian because you think that faithfulness to the teachings of Jesus are more important. Kids and teenagers, following Jesus could lead you to lose friends at school. It could lead to the ridicule of others as you choose to live a life of holiness, as you choose not to participate in some of the things that your friends or your relationships at school may be participating in. Parents, faithfully following Jesus, it could mean that you say no to your children. You say no to allowing certain destructive influences in the lives of your children, though all their friends around them are participating in those things. And even if you're afraid that by doing so, you might even just temporarily damage your relationship with your children. Well, the truth is that you must be willing to make some relational sacrifices to follow Jesus. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Oh, one concerning trend in missions over the, the last few decades, and particularly missions in the, the Muslim world, is something called the insider movement. Now, proponents of the insider movement argue that those who come to faith from another religious tradition, so from a, a Muslim background, for instance, well, they do not actually need to give up their Muslim identity in order to faithfully follow Jesus. They can stay in the Muslim community while simply personally, and most importantly, privately identifying as a follower of Jesus. They can continue to practice the outward forms of Islam, praying five times a day, observing Ramadan, going to, to the mosques, 
while in their hearts directing their prayers and their, their fasting toward Jesus instead of Allah. So they're something like outwardly a Muslim, but inwardly a Christian. That's what it would hold. Now, proponents of the insider movement argue that the benefits of this is that the new believer will avoid persecution and that they can stay connected to their, their Muslim family and their Muslim social network in order to share the gospel. They won't lose family and friends. Friends, I hope Jesus' words in these verses make the problem and the dangers of the insider movement clear. And so much for the cost of discipleship. You must be willing to give up even your own family if you're going to faithfully follow Jesus. And second, Jesus says that you must be willing to give up yourself. He does not just call you to prioritize him over your family and friends, but that you must hate even your own life to follow him. Now notice the progression in that statement. You're willing to give up your relationships and even your own life. The point being, I believe, that it is more difficult to give up your own life than it is to give up your family, possessions, or anything else. Friends, the truth is that you will not be willing to sacrifice anything your family, your possessions, or, or anything else until you are willing to sacrifice your own desires and dreams, until you are willing to lay those at the foot of the cross. You must be willing to sacrifice your own version of the American dream, your own version of the good life. You must be willing to share in the sufferings of Christ. You must be willing to bear your own cross and die to yourself, to lose your life that you might save it. In other words, your entire life is to be reoriented around Jesus Christ. In church, most crucially, I believe that means you must be willing to give up your pride and your sin in order to follow Jesus. You cannot be a disciple without first turning from your sin and turning towards Jesus in obedient faith. It's a German pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who pastored in Germany during World War II. He strongly warned Christians and the church against the idea of cheap grace in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. This is what he wrote. He wrote, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. Well, cheap grace speaks of, of Jesus' forgiveness without also speaking of Jesus' call to discipleship. It tells people they can be saved simply by praying a prayer, whether or not their lives ever actually change. As, a, as another author put it, cheap grace says, of course you've sinned, but now everything is forgiven. Jesus paid the price for your sins, so everything's taken care of. That's okay as far as it goes, but it does not go far enough. The problem is that the gospel contains, that gospel contains no demand for discipleship. There's no requirement for repentance, no holding out for holiness. As the old truism goes, Grace may be free, but it is not cheap. It costs Jesus his life, 
and it will cost us our lives, too, if we want to follow him. The invitation may be extended to all, but only those who obey Jesus' call, deny yourself, and take up your cross, have received it. Friends, in warning about cheap grace, Dietrich Bonhoeffer put his money where his mouth was. His obedience to to Jesus led him to to publicly denounce Hitler and the Nazi regime. It eventually cost him his life. He was executed in a concentration camp near the end of World War II for his faithfulness to Christ. He lost his life that he might save it. Friends, the, the, the point is that God's free gift of salvation makes demands on your life. You must take up your cross and follow. If you do not, you cannot be a disciple. Church, this is why the the label of gay Christian is such a problem, though it is so prevalent in our day and age. And when I say that, I'm not talking about those who may struggle with same-sex attraction, but nevertheless fight for holiness. I'm speaking about those who may intentionally take up that label who identify themselves with that lifestyle, who say, yes, I follow Jesus, but I still identify myself with a lifestyle that Jesus calls sinful. And that is the definition of cheap grace. To say that is to say that Jesus accepts me just the way that I am. He makes no demand that I change. He does not make me lay down my life. I can follow Jesus without turning from my sin. My friends, that's just not true. It's cheap grace. Romans 6, how can we who died to sin still live in it? My friends, we don't want to just think about those people outside of these doors. Take time to ask yourself which of your own sins you're tempted to still identify with. Which of your own sins that you're still tempted to to hold on to, to tolerate and accept. Say, that's just the way I am. must be willing to give up your very self in order to follow Jesus. And the final category Jesus mentions down in verse 33 is your possessions. Now, by mentioning possessions, Jesus is really just continuing to emphasize that he must be number one in your life. Luke 16, 13, you cannot serve God and money. Friends, are you willing to keep your integrity and do what is right at work, even if it costs you your job? that might become a bigger issue for some of you over the next decade. Are you willing to pass up a promotion because it would force you to move to a place there is no healthy church or it would take too much time away from your family or, more importantly, from the Lord? Are you generous with what the Lord has given you? Are you quick to help those in need? Do you give faithfully to the local church? Are you eager to support the work of the gospel abroad? You cannot serve God and money. In these verses, Jesus is urging you to think seriously about what it means to follow him. He's just urging you to to think seriously about what it means to be his disciple. That is really the, the point of the two brief parables that Jesus tells in these verses. If you were to build a tower, If you're to build a house, would you not first make sure that you have enough money to finish it one day? Don't want a half-finished house sitting on a lot for the rest of your life. 
In a similar way, before going to war, would not a king decide whether or not he thinks he can prevail? Does he have enough soldiers and resources to defend his city? Jesus is urging you to take discipleship seriously, to understand what you're getting yourself into. Church, you should understand from these verses that following Jesus is not simply an emotional decision, though it certainly should and can stir your emotions. But following Jesus is more than emotions. It is a logical decision. It is a commitment of the will, of the whole self, of heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not unusual at large Christian events, a night of singing, a tent revival, a youth retreat, for instance, for many people to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. The atmosphere of those events tend to lead people to something of an emotional high, They are surrounded by many others who seem to love and follow Jesus, and therefore people often find themselves eager to follow Jesus and and make a profession of faith in him. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. We want to rejoice over all lost sinners who are saved. We want to be grateful for where the gospel is preached, wherever it is preached. But we should also be clear that the true evidence of whether someone's salvation was genuine is not the prayer they said, or the decision they made when their emotions were high. It will be when they return to normal life and have to count the cost. It's when the going gets tough, when they realize that following Jesus may lose them friends and popularity, when following Jesus does not seem quite as exciting as it did when they were away at their youth retreat. Friends, counting the cost is not a one-time decision, but a way of life. You can't just point backwards to a decision or a a sacrifice you made in the distant past and think, I'm good. Those who go overseas can't just look back at that point in their life for the rest of their life and say, well, I did that one time, so I'm good. My sacrifice is done. Luke 9, 23, if anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's what makes a a true firefighter is not how eager they were to begin the fire academy. It's how committed they were to finish. It's not so much how you start the Christian life that matters. It's how you finish. Will you fight the good fight? Will you finish the race? Will you count the cost and keep the faith? You may say that Jesus paints somewhat of a sobering picture of the Christian life here. I think that's a fair assessment. But church, the the truth is that though there is certainly an earthly cost to following Jesus, you must understand that there is no ultimate cost. There is an earthly cost, but there is no ultimate cost. Now, if you are trying to save money to get married... Maybe you're trying to save money to go on vacation. Uh, You're going to happily skip going out to eat with friends, perhaps, to to save money for this better thing that is to come. The hardships are are worth it. You see the goal. You have the goal in mind. Friends, that's what it's like to follow Jesus. Jesus is worth it, and he is worth it both now, and he is worth it for all eternity. And Jesus came so that you might have abundant life, 
Christians even now have the assurance of eternal life. Christians even now have something of the peace and joy and satisfaction that will be theirs for all eternity and in full. Christians even now have been brought into the family of God and have been given a wealth of new brothers and sisters. Christians even now have a relationship with their heavenly father, someone they can turn to and rely on, someone who has promised that he will never leave them or forsake them, someone who has promised that he is for their good now and always. But those realities do not shield Christians from present difficulties, from trials and suffering. I want you to turn with me for a moment to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. We're going to spend a a couple minutes in these verses because I think they help us to see that following Jesus is worth it. That it is worth it to count the cost. And they also help us to see what it is that will help us to count the cost. Uh, So let me read in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. My friends, who is that great cloud of witnesses? Well, they are the the Old Testament saints who walked by faith and who counted the cost. Uh, Flip back to Hebrews 11, verses 35 through 40 for a moment. And I just want you to see some of the cost that these people endured. I'm going to start in the middle of verse 35. The author of Hebrews writes this. Some of these Old Testament saints were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Friends, these Old Testament saints counted the cost because they had faith in a better resurrection to come. Brothers and sisters, though we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, we have something far greater to look to than just their example. We get to look to Jesus Christ. We have a far greater reason and confidence in counting the cost than they did. They were looking forward to the Messiah to come. We get to look back to the Messiah who came and lived and died and was raised again. Look again back at Hebrews 12 in verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Church, how do you count the cost? It's by looking to Jesus who started our faith, who sustains our faith and who will complete our faith to Jesus, who was the supreme example of the faith. It was for the joy that was set before him, his future glory and his future reward, that Jesus endured the cross and he counted the cost. He was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. Because of Jesus, you have an imperishable and undefiled inheritance laid up in heaven. And so church, you can count the cost and you can endure by looking to Jesus who endured and suffered for your forgiveness. He died so that by faith you might live. Friends, the truth is that we do not have enough on our own to complete the tower. We don't have enough on our own to defeat the enemy. But we have Jesus, and he is enough. And it is Jesus who is sufficient for the task. So what do you do when fighting your sin seems impossible? When it seems impossible to die to yourself or to give up yourself and follow Jesus? When you're ready to throw in the towel and give up? Look at Hebrews 12.4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You remember that you have not struggled so much against temptation and sin that you have shed your own blood. But guess who did? Jesus. And he counted the cost for you. He shed his blood on the cross for your sin. So brothers and sisters, count the cost. Fight your sin. Die to yourself. Well, that's the first point of the sermon, understanding the cost. That brings us to the second, advertising the cost. I want you to briefly see two things in this final point. The first thing is that in these verses, Jesus was honest about the cost of discipleship. He honestly shared about the cost of discipleship with the crowds and church. So should we. We should be honest with people when we share the gospel. Do not offer people cheap grace or just tell them that all their problems are going to magically disappear if they place their faith in Jesus Christ. You should be honest in your evangelism. Tell people that Jesus invites them to come and die to themselves. Is it worth it? Absolutely. But the Christian life is also costly. And Jesus' goal here was not to draw a, a bigger crowd. It shouldn't be the number one goal in Christian ministry either. There is a big danger in making it your goal to draw a bigger crowd. And one way to do that is to remove the offense of the gospel, to soften the message, to present a gospel of cheap grace so Everyone can go home feeling good about themselves. But that is not the message of the gospel. The gospel is good news, but the message of the gospel should not make someone who refuses to give up their sin feel good. Friends, we don't want to soften the hard edges of Scripture in order to draw a crowd. Now, the second thing I want you to see is that Christians, as Christians, we are to advertise with our lives that the cost of following Jesus is worth it. Look at verses 34 and 35. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is to be thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Brothers and sisters, our saltiness is our witness. We are to be the aroma of Christ, or you might say the seasoning of Christ to the watching world. Our lives, our faithfulness, and our good works are to give glory to God. Now, if we publicly demonstrate with our lives that we are willing to count the cost of following Jesus by forsaking sin, by patiently and joyfully enduring suffering, 
by loving our enemies and refusing to take vengeance on them when they might mistreat us, by being generous with our, our time and our, our money in a countercultural way. Well, if we publicly demonstrate that we are willing to count the cost, we show others that the cost is worth it. We show others, more importantly, that Jesus is worth it. On the other hand, what does it say about Jesus if we refuse to count the cost? We give up when the going gets tough. I think we communicate that Jesus is not worth it. Communicate that Jesus is a nice addition to our lives. He's a nice add-on to our lives. We like him when he makes things better or more comfortable for us. But he's not really the most important thing. He's only, he's only worth it if he makes our lives better or easier, if things get smoother. Well, friends, in the first few centuries of the church, persecution was a continual threat. But perhaps the, the worst and the most violent persecution of Christians came around the year 250 A.D. during the reign of the Roman emperor Decius. Now, Decius actually intentionally targeted Christians by commanding that all Roman citizens make sacrifices to the traditional Roman gods. He did this knowing that it would violate Christian convictions. It was a command to commit idolatry. Now, Christians who refused to obey this command were imprisoned, and many were severely tortured in order to get them, in an effort to get them to deny Christ. Now, many Christians refused to deny Christ, and many of those were martyred for their faith. However, there were many others who professed faith in Christ who then recanted or denied the faith in the face of such persecution. Now, some denied Christ quite quickly and readily. It really just took the threat of persecution. Others only did so after enduring severe torture. But many of those who ended up renouncing the faith later came to, to deeply regret it, and they sought to rejoin the church. The church had to decide what to do. These individuals had failed to fully count the cost. They had brought public shame to Jesus by denying him. Should they be readmitted to the fellowship of the church? Well, the church eventually decided to allow those who renounced faith to return. But before they accepted them back into fellowship, they had to demonstrate genuine sorrow for their sin and renewed faithfulness to the Lord over a period of time. A shorter period of time for those who only recanted their faith after severe torture. A longer period of time for those who quickly, quickly gave up the faith in the threat, uh, under the threat of persecution. A church denying Christ is a serious thing. Failing to count the cost is a serious thing. If that is the, the regular pattern of our lives, we are not even fit for the manure pile as Jesus put it. But I think the early church made the right decision to renew their fellowship with those who demonstrated genuine repentance. And after all, did not Jesus uh, restore a sorrowful and repentant Peter after he denied him three times? Brothers and sisters, the, the sign of a true disciple is not perfection. There are times when you will fear man rather than God. There are times when you will be ashamed of Jesus before others. We could probably all go back through our lives and think of those times. There are times when you will feel like giving up. There are times when you will give in to pressure. 
There are times when your circumstances will tempt you to doubt, and you will doubt. There are times when you will give in to sin. Though we have the Spirit, we still battle the flesh. The sign of a true disciple is that when those times come, and you fail to count the cost, you return to Jesus in humility and repentance, and you get up and you try again. Some firefighters who fail out of the fire academy on their first try, they come back and try again. They go home for a period of time. They spend hours in study. Uh, They work out more and exercise more to prepare themselves for the next time, and then they try again. Brothers and sisters, that's to be our attitude in the Christian life. We may not always pass the tests that God brings into our life, but true disciples seek to grow in the faith and to better prepare themselves for the next test to come. They seek to strengthen their faith. They turn to the Word and the church, and they turn to prayer. And they do this in the confidence that it is the Lord who will strengthen them to endure. They do it in the confidence that no one can snatch them from Jesus' hands if they are his. They do it knowing that he who began a good work in them will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. They do it knowing that they are not enough in themselves, but Jesus is enough. So they count the cost. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do come and we consider these sobering words of Jesus in in Luke's gospel. Father, we pray that this text would sober us, it would humble us. But Father, we would not just leave discouraged. We'd leave thinking seriously about our lives and about the call to discipleship. But Father, we would leave with our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. It was the one who counted the cost on our behalf. Father, we pray that we would look inwardly at our hearts. We would confess our sin. Father, we would recognize the things that we have been clinging to too tightly. But Father, that would not mire us in guilt and shame. Lead us to come to the foot of the cross. Father, to, to rest in the mercy and grace that Jesus offers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.